0: I'm Claire
1: and I'm Craig and welcome to Retaining the Passion, Journeys Through Nursing. This is a non-affiliated podcast. Any views expressed by the hosts or the guests do not necessarily represent the organizations they work for or are studying at
0: or any trade unions or professional organizations they are members of. Thanks for listening.
1: morning, Claire. How are
2: you? Good
0: morning. I'm okay. I have a little bit of a cold, so I sound a little bit croaky. So apologies if I'm kind of clearing my throat and being generally croaky throughout this episode to you and the listeners. <laughs> have you got a hot honey and lemon? No, I've got coffee. It's too, too early on a Sunday morning for that. I've got coffee. Yeah, I know.
1: I'm, I'm joining <laughs> you on the second coffee of the day. I'm still on coffee one, but definitely coffee. Well, it is very nice to be with you again. It is always a joy. So, do you want to tell our listeners what we are going to be talking about and why we've delayed this episode by a week? Yeah, I think it's important.
0: important. So, today's episode, we've recorded three lovely interviews, but they're all about mental health. And I think listeners who've listened throughout all three series so far of the podcast don't know that that's quite important to both of us on a personal and professional level for both of us and we've tried to do something a little bit different this time and talk about it from the point of view of professionals, nurses specifically, but any healthcare professionals who have mental health issues, whether that's a diagnosed condition or struggles at work or any impact from their mental well-being. So we We were overwhelmed, actually, by the number of people who volunteered to share their stories and some very personal stories. And we know that this is a topic we'll revisit. So we're going to come back to some of those in the future. So thank you, first of all, to anybody who offered to share their story because they're very personal and very special to share and to put yourself out there to give other people that hope and support. And we talk about our people, don't we? And we talk about building our people. And so for those people to share and build that community of awareness and togetherness is really special and and we were really honoured. So that's really important that we note that. But we have interviewed three people, so it's going to be a lengthy episode. Um, And I think it's very personal to both of us. Obviously, I work as a mental health nurse. I've never had a diagnosed mental health condition, and I've never been on any mental health medication. Although my medication for my epilepsy is also used in mental health, much yeah. gene it's a mood stabilizer. But I've definitely had periods of very low mental well-being, yeah. and I think probably struggled with postnatal depression. We're going to talk about that on a future episode, I think. Yeah. So I won't share all of my story now, but I'm certainly aware of the fact that in work and on Twitter people accuse me of being too positive mm. and sometimes that's just the way I deal with my mental well-being yeah. and who I choose to share things with and how I choose to portray myself and move myself forward in my low times. Yeah, And it's no secret that you've had your no challenges. No,
1: it's not. And it's something I've talked about and why this in particular is so important to me talking about this issue of practitioners who have lived experiences of mental health diagnosis or mental health unwellness, whether it is diagnosed or not. So a quick positive history for those that don't know, I've taken medication for my mental health for roughly the last eight years. Um, And now it's very fresh, but I'm now three weeks free of taking any medication at all, which was through a long conversation between my psychiatrist and I and titrated down. So it's getting used to how that feels. So, yeah, I was hospitalized in 2015 and went on to a medication called sodium valproate for that, which is a mood stabilizer. I've been on that for the last six years because I was diagnosed with type 1 bipolar disorder at that time. And then in January, due to stresses and pressure of joining the register and working in a COVID hub during COVID with lots of trauma and other things going on. I got put on sertraline because I was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and finding it very difficult. So since January, I continued to be on my sodium valproate. I was on sertraline, came off the sertraline in September and then, yeah, for three weeks now I've been off my sodium valproate because my psychiatrist and i discussed it and since i had my original hospital admission my diagnosis wasn't looking quite right there had never been any times where i'd gone hypomanic or manic ever again so they they questioned that diagnosis and felt like it had been done too rapidly and not following the nice guidelines so my diagnosis has now changed and it i was hospitalized following an episode of psychosis due to many external stressors going on in my life at that point in time. And now it's more generalised anxiety disorder is my diagnosis, and I can manage that with skills and techniques. But also, I, I did need to take medication with PRN propranolol. But I want people to know, and I have mentioned this, I'm very open about it on Twitter, that there should be absolutely no shame and stigma in taking medication for your mental health, much the same as you would take medication for any physical health ailment. The only reason that I stopped taking it was I didn't want to be taking a medication that I did not need to be taking. Yeah, because it it has side effects. It has side effects and it it can potentially be harmful if you're on drugs for long periods of time.
0: As I am testament to, as (laughs) we all know.
1: And I just... It was, we'd always discussed coming off it eventually, but it never seemed the right time. Starting university was not the right time. Qualifying as a new nurse and starting on the register was not the right time. A pandemic was not the right time. Then I moved to my new job, not the right time. Got a promotion, not the right time. And it just in my head, when I was talking to my psychiatrist, it was never the right time. And there was always going to be an excuse. Mm. And I'm very lucky now that I've got a really great support network around me. And I'm also so cognizant of my own mental health and fluctuations in my mood that I'm very self-aware. And I feel if I needed to go back onto medication, I I would. Um, but it was it's very important to me to be able to talk about this because I want people to know there is absolutely no shame in taking medication. and And quite often people do say to me on social media or in real life, colleagues that I work with, why are you so open about your mental health? And it's for one of two reasons. One is I think it's really important that people who work within healthcare, but people across the board in general society are open about this because it starts the conversation and it is a very challenging conversation for people to have. And it shows that you are a safe space and shows that it's okay for people to discuss it and to break down that stigma and have that challenge but also for me i like to talk about it so i put it all out there so no one can weaponize it against me or use it to throw against me because i've already put it out there i was much the same as with my sexuality when i discussed that There's n- and i'm not sure that's the most healthy way to be but it works for me i'm to saying
0: so it works for you and i know it works for you but it's it's sad on the same level that and it, and it builds into this side of stigma that we're going to talk about through this episode it's sad that you even think that it could be weaponized against you cuz that's part of the stigma isn't it that yeah, that's I, something I that you could
1: seen, but it's the reality but we it, have it seen just examples of it me me sad. Sad. but for me yeah i put it out there i've always been very open All my way through my training, all my lecturers knew. I reached out to counselling at university. I have always told occupational therapy and I've been very open in workplaces too. I've particularly been very open with my current team because I've now come off all medication and I want the support network of them around me as well. But that was very scary because I don't want any of them to have judgment against me and suddenly... If anything goes wrong, or if I'm not performing to it's my best, it's blamed like, on your know, mental okay. health. Yeah. yeah. So that was really that was really scary, but to me, it's important, and I trust them enough. I think it's all about trust. But we yeah. have three fabulous guests who will attend we do, and we're so so privileged to hear from them, and they are the lovely Abby Martin, Sally-Ann Weddy, and Nicole McIntosh And wow, you're in for a treat.
3: Good morning, everybody.
0: So our first guest on this episode, we are really delighted to have Abby Martin, who is a mental health nurse working in schools. Abby's a friend of both Craig and I from back in the day when we were all students. Um, and it's way. really it's really, <laughs> really nice to have you on, Abby. So hello. Yeah, hello, so lovely much to much be for here and, and we know this episode we've talked about it already is about mental health particularly in the workplace for nurses and um, health professionals so we know this is a really personal topic but we'd love you to start just by telling us about how you got to where you are today in your nursing journey just share what you want with our listeners you know we don't want you to share anything and regret it um, but we'd love to know your story
4: Of course. Okay. So I, out of school, I went and worked in a primary school and I did all the emotional wellbeing. I was actually going to be training to be a teacher, but decided I didn't really like teaching maths. So (laughs) (laughs) I just didn't, I just wasn't the one. So then I ended up doing all the emotional wellbeing. I absolutely loved it. So I did two years there and then was at a bit of a point in my life where I was like, what, what do I want to do? I've loved working with kids what, what do I want to do from here and actually like a friend sat me down and said who inspires you and the answer was nurses that I had come across in my personal life I'm sure we'll talk about my personal life a little <laughs> bit in a minute so there were nurses that had worked with me and they were my kind of inspiration what I wanted to do in my life so they were both mental health nurses and I, this friend said but why, why are you thinking about doing teaching then if the people that you look up to and you inspire to are mental health nurses. And I also come from a family of nurses as well. And I had a lot of conversation with a lot of people and decided to go into mental health nursing. So then I, last minute, very last minute, put my application in and went to University of Essex. So I did my nursing degree. At the same time, I worked a lot on a child and adolescent mental health ward, which I really enjoyed and... Yeah, it was always just a good vibe. I always enjoyed working there. I really, the staff were amazing and I really liked working with the kids. Like the kids were amazing. And obviously I had all my placements at the same time. When I finished my nursing, I went and worked in a community mental health team. And that was with adults. And again, I loved it. I did love it. But I, I miss working with young, children young people. So that then leaves me after about a year and a half of in that role, I came and I work now in early intervention in schools and colleges, working with children young people, trying to get that support in before we're looking at kind of long, enduring mental health difficulties. So the aim is to offer that support really, really quickly, try and get in there and give The young people' techniques and skills and insight and understanding into their mental health to prevent longer term difficulties and also help schools as like a whole school approach. Absolutely love it. So that's my nursing journey. Um, And you've had
0: some amazing feedback. She's being very modest. Mm. So we met Abby through Twitter. We were all on the student nurse project together, and then we've met in real life, which was great. But Abby, I know, has had some amazing feedback from the young people that she works with. When you told you were cool.
4: I was that was like the biggest compliment I was, told them yeah. A cool adult. I was like yeah
0: yeah but you really engage well with them and you've had some amazing feedback so that's thanks
4: no I love it I really love it
1: so you've talked a bit there about well you've kind of alluded to the fact that you had experience of nurses through your own personal experience mm-hmm. and obviously we know that this topic can be difficult to discuss and we wouldn't want you to discuss or disclose anything that you are uncomfortable about but you have been very open on social media (laughs) and through blogs about your experiences of mental health personally and it's I love seeing it as just your friend Abby what you're doing working with children because I know you experienced Mm. mental health challenges when you were younger yourself so now that you're able to relate with people in that way so if you feel like it can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you feel that helps you or hinders you now in your role as a mental health nurse
4: yeah no of course so I struggled with my emotional health I'd say from about the age of like 10, 11, I think think my parents took me to the GP when I was about 11 for the first time. I was in and out of UMES, or CAMS, sorry, Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service. It's called different things in different areas, until about the age of 14, 15. And then I was actually admitted to hospital for a short period of time at about 15. And that was... Obviously, due to my mental health deteriorating, not not able to keep myself safe. If we're being completely honest there, and that admission was hard, but the help I got on the back of that admission saved my life. So, from the back of that admission, I got amazing support, and I often talk about this as well. I am so lucky in the support I got from CAMS. I had lots of therapies. I had amazing nurses. The support I had as a young person from CAMS was outstanding. And I know that's not the story for everyone, and it breaks my heart that that's not the story for everyone, but yeah, it was amazing. So I then have, was in, it was in the service and think until about 1920, roughly. and then so I was transferred to adult at 18, and then I was discharged, and I've been discharged since. I still have to check in with myself. I still have to do a lot of techniques and skills that I learned during that therapy. In fact, last year I had some private therapy just because I recognized I was struggling. And yeah, so it's all about it's an ongoing journey, is it? It's never, I don't want to say it's never over, but everyone has mental well-being and I just have to be slightly more aware of mine, I think. Yeah, I think, I guess that's kind of covering my journey and how it helped or hinders me as a nurse. So had, I was thinking about this and I actually just, I think it's helped me. I can't really see how it's hindered me. I think because I was so lucky in that I had really good support and I've had a lot of therapy, I'm very good at checking in on myself and I'm very self-aware. I, I realized very quickly, okay, okay, today's not a good day. I'm not doing great. And I think... If I didn't have that self-awareness, then it could hinder me. Because yeah. obviously we know being a nurse isn't the easiest job in the world. Definitely very rewarding, but maybe not the easiest. So if you're unable to check in on yourself and recognise your own emotional well-being maybe is declining, then I think that could definitely be a struggle. However, for me, I think, because I'm so lucky I had such good therapy, I'm, I'm good at that. So that's really helped. I think I, I can advocate for my patients. I can understand sometimes a little too well, where they're coming from. Interestingly, I never tell them my story. I think it's their recovery. It's their journey, not mine. Yeah. I would never lie. I would never say, no, no, I've never been in the mental health system or no, no, I've never had difficulties. But I, I would never say it. I would never bring that up. And that's my own professional kind of preference. And no one's ever asked, so I've never told them. But I definitely think it gives me a different level of insight and a different level of ability to advocate and understand from all kind of sides where they're coming from. But you also have to be aware of everyone's story and everyone's journey is different. And even if there's a lot of similarities to me, 15 year old Abby and 15 year old patient, there could be similarities, but there's also going to be so many differences. Yeah. And that's something always to be aware of as well.
0: And I think one of the things that I love about you, and if we'll talk about your Social media presence at the end and, and get people to follow you. But your Instagram and your Twitter and stuff is about emotional well being. And the language that you've just chosen to use there is about checking in on yourself, emotional well being, all of us having mental health. None of that was a list of diagnoses or medication or identifying yourself as somebody with a particular diagnosis. Now, I know for some people that's important, but your story and your Instagram and the way you portray yourself is relevant to everybody, whether they've been through the mental health system Mm -hmm. and had that kind of formal. And I love that about you, that anybody can access kind of the stuff that you're saying.
4: Thank you. Yeah, I think it's important. It doesn't matter if you have a diagnosis, or you've been on mental health services or not. It doesn't matter. We like we all have health, we all have physical and mental health, and we all need to be aware of that in ourselves and others. Do you think? I, I guess
0: this is. I'm just going to throw this extra question in.
4: <laughs> like, do you think that, like, so we're talking
0: about stigma in particular and yeah. around stigma of health professionals having mental health issues? Do you think diagnosis and labels makes that worse? Do you think that adds to the stigma?
4: oh what a question I mean obviously Um, I
0: have an opinion on that but
4: (laughs) it's a hard question you know what I've seen it both sides I've seen diagnoses (laughs) um, given and completely really help a patient and really help them be like okay that's why I'm that way that's why I'm doing this but equally I think it is so detrimental and And I also think mental health or mental illness, whatever you want to say, is a spectrum.
1: Yeah.
4: And it's not, oh, you're diagnosed, oh, you're not. There's action in between. And I think that gets lost in society and even nursing, actually, to be honest. Like, it's not depression, no depression. There's depression, low mood, really low. You know, there's a spectrum and a diagnosis don't recognise that spectrum. That's my personal opinion on that. And I think, does it hinder I, I i i don't know i think in regards to stigma there's definitely diagnoses that are a lot more stigmatized than others and we need to take leaps and bounds to break that stigma and i, I hope i see it broken at some point
1: yeah
4: um okay. yeah there's definitely diagnoses that are more stigmatized than others aren't there i yeah.
1: think it's really interesting he didn't I feel like a fish out of water because I'm speaking with two mental health nurses um, (laughs) but I think it's really interesting us talking about diagnosis as someone that was misdiagnosed Mm -hmm. so I had a diagnosis of bipolar disorder Mm -hmm. for years and then as listeners of the podcast know I was hospitalized for a while as well because I couldn't keep myself safe but then when I was discharge into community and working and moved back to Glasgow and working with the community psychiatrist the team I joined originally they were great and they didn't talk about diagnosis at all and then subsequently when I was discharged from their service uh, into genetic community mental health me and my psychiatrist they were like actually this diagnosis is all wrong So over the next period of like five years, the diagnosis became that I'd had a psychotic breakdown. Mm -hmm. I'd had an Mm -hmm. episode of psychosis, but for the five years I'd been living under this impression that I had bipolar disorder. So I was like hyper analyzing myself, like under a microscope looking for like hypomania, mania, depression. And I became obsessed with having that label and diagnosis. So for me, as a person I find that really challenging to have a specific diagnosis on it
0: yeah. And, yeah I think it's different for different people we talk about that with patients a lot don't we Abby and yeah. I think in mental health services yeah. I think the difficulty is in mental health other than organic causes of things like dementia there's no test yeah. there's no blood test that says this is definitely schizophrenia this is a personality disorder I hate that term this is bipolar and so you're always working with the information that's in front of you that's only as good as as you get on that day from people and so it's hard but I I agree that some people find it really useful and some people find it really not useful I remember Um,
4: when I went into adult services (laughs) my diagnosis changed and I just got it on a letter no one sat me down and spoke about that. Whoa. I just got in a care plan. It was just diagnosed, like name, date of birth, diagnosis, and it just changed. And I was just sitting there like, okay, right, what's this? And that diagnosis has followed me to this day. And I don't know if I'll ever get told otherwise because I'm not under any services now. I don't have any contact, So that will be on my record now. And that's fine. But, you know, you can recover. You can get to a point where diagnosis doesn't impact you anymore Um, or
0: define you I think it's about it's about defining you isn't it and it's about when I alluded then to hating personality disorder that's why I hate that diagnosis so much because it's so defining we just need to find different language to use around that Um so we've talked lots about reducing stigma and the word stigma about mental illness and it it does feel I think you're right Abby that there have been some shifts in some areas I think there is much clearer understanding of depression and anxiety in society as a whole and people feel more open about talking about it we've got a long way to go but like you say in other areas there's still huge shifts to make but there does still seem to be a stigma around healthcare professionals and nurses talking about their mental health, being able to work with that. You know, people assume that if you have a mental health illness or condition that you can't. Is that something you're conscious of? And how does that affect you day to day?
4: So, yeah, I was thinking about this question. And I think personally, I've been quite lucky. And I'm not sure if that's because I've just worked in amazing teams or if because actually I am vocal about it. I'm vocal about it, but I do pick my moments. <laughs> I would say I do try very hard to read the room and, and I'm not always vocal about it. I have days where I feel the stigma a lot more than other days or people that I feel the stigma around a lot more than other days. So personally, I've been quite lucky. I think the one of the biggest moments for me was when... Like I say, I was like 19, I think, maybe 20. And I hadn't started my nursing yet, but it was, I was going over my head, I was thinking about it. And I said to my current CPN, so it's my current nurse at the time, who was my care coordinator, I said, I'm, I'm thinking about doing nursing. And she was like, no, you can't do that. You can't, oh. it's, you know, you can't do that. You won't. She was like, one reason was because she didn't think I'd be good for my mental health. But the other reason was she was just like, you can't be a nurse. And I was discharged, like, actually, like, within a couple of months of that discussion because I had been well for quite a long time. So I did it anyway, <laughs> I, as I'm here now. But if I listened to that advice, I <laughs> wouldn't,
0: wouldn't be a nurse. I wouldn't be a nurse,
4: no. It's I,
1: I'm interested, how did that affect you Been told that at the time? Because obviously we know you've gone on to do yeah. great things in nursing, but at that living in that moment, because we hear from a lot, a lot of our listeners are students and there's still yeah. a lot of discussion that you shouldn't go into nursing if you have a mental health diagnosis or you struggle with your mental health. Or when people are undertaking their education, if they become mentally unwell, people suggest that nursing is not right for you. You should not be doing it and come out of it. It's not universal across the board, but there are instances of that happening. So I'm really interested how that made you feel at that time, Abbey.
4: I think because I hadn't made my mind up at this point I took it on board and I was I was almost at that time in a phase of making like a pros and cons list of what do I do nursing or not and that definitely got added to it and and it definitely added to the conversation but I was really lucky as in I had lots of other great support around me and actually on the the opposite to what that nurse said to me a psychiatrist said to me so I was under psychiatrist as well I think you can do nursing and I think you'll be really good. And I think you'll use it. And actually that contrast as well added to that pros and cons list. So, but if I had my, my eyes set on nursing and my heart set on nursing and I had made that decision, that'd be heartbreaking. Yeah. Um. But I hadn't, I hadn't made that decision at that time, but yeah, it would have been heartbreaking. And actually I saw a different nurse. I said, I was two nurses I was inspired to. One of those nurses was from CAMS, the child and adolescent days, and she was an amazing nurse. Like I have so many, like so many memories of her supporting me. And in my final year of nursing, I actually went to an interview for CAMS. I didn't get the job, but she found me in the waiting room because she was still working for CAMS. And she said mm. to me, like, when I worked with you, you were either gonna make it. Like your your story and your journey was either gonna make you or break you. And she said, I think you were either gonna use it to like work with young people and change other people's lives or I could see you going the other way and actually you it being a burden on you and I'm so glad that it went this way because obviously she left me to adult Mm -hmm. services so she didn't ever see that I got discharged or anything so it was really nice to see that and to hear that from her
1: so amazing when you've got those people that really are fighting your corner and make such a lasting impression on you
4: yeah. yeah. I think maybe mental health
0: nursing is a little bit different in that they do encourage people with lived experience. Yeah. That 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 is something they look for. And certainly in my cohort there were people with lived experience. Yeah. I think that it maybe it's different in different fields I don't know having only studied mental health nursing. But I think there's still some stigma around whether people are well enough mm. i think that's the conversation that happens in mental health nursing are you well enough to be doing this now are you in recovery and it makes me really sad that a nurse said that to you because for me that's totally not about your recovery that was her opinion yeah. of yeah. of mental health and actually we should be saying absolutely unless there's a really clear reason why it would be forever unsafe for you we should be enabling people and walking alongside them on their journey to recovery. And that was your journey, not her opinion. That makes me mad, but it makes me really proud of you that you did it anyway.
4: Thank you. And I I guess I'm, I was, like I said, I was really lucky. I had supportive like family, friends, friends, And I also said I was working in a school. So as well, she said that after I'd worked in a school for two years as well. Let's remember that. So I was working, you know, I I had, and working in school is pretty stressful as well. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Different kind of stress, but it is is there. And and yeah, I was was very lucky. It it breaks my heart that she said that to someone, or they said that to someone who didn't have that support around them. And I had a supportive employer at the time at the school who was like, yes, you do that. You go for it. Like, if I didn't have that, I might have not gone into nursing. And that that's really sad. And that is is—that is the stigma, isn't it, right there? I said I didn't have any stigma personally, and then I gave a quite a good example. <laughs> but as a nurse, like as a, as a registered nurse, I've been quite lucky in that I haven't had much stigma. The classic, why are you wearing long-sleeved in summer? That one, I've, you've probably seen me tweet about that one. That's such a bugbear for me, because what do you want me to answer? Do
0: you want yeah. the
4: truth, or do you want me to make an excuse up? What, what's the answer there? especially if you're in a waiting room of patients as well like I'm not about to say that in front of because again I've always said it's their journey it's their story it's not yeah. mine and yeah that's that's one of my biggest bugbears is when people why are you wearing I long lived it's well hot outside it's none of your business leave me alone yeah,
0: yeah because we're not we're as mental health nurses we're quite often not in a clinical setting so we don't no, need to be don't. bare below the elbows so it's yeah. absolutely none of what anybody else's to, business
4: Yeah, I don't know if I in also, schools
0: we do or people's homes only yeah, in a exactly, clinic yeah. setting yeah
4: yeah definitely and and I'm also very much like if I'm going to share my story or I'm going to tell you about my difficulties it's on my terms it's not because you've asked me why I'm wearing long sleeves it, it will be a natural organic conversation that I will say yeah no I had a, I, I experienced something similar or this happened like it'll be on my terms and I'm quite I guess I'm quite struggle about that I I don't you've got to keep
1: yourself safe like that is about your personal safety and your choice you have autonomy of your own life like it's not up to them to ask
0: yeah Uh, and and also you're really conscious of other people and if you start talking about things we don't know what everybody's journey is so I don't know if I start talking about something you know, this is totally different. It's not mental health. But if I start, I've had four kids, all very different births. I'm really conscious of not talking about that in front of women who've not had children. Unless somebody asks me to go into detail about my birth stories. (laughs) I'm not going to, because I don't know what somebody else is going through, been through, going to go through. And it's the same with any health condition, mental health condition, because our story is our story and it's ours to own.
4: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And you don't want to like like you said with your story, you don't want to make anyone feel because you don't know if other other people are going through it and you don't want to bring up emotions that they maybe can't manage or they're not in a place to manage right now. Especially in a workplace. Even an office doesn't have to be mental health nursing. You it could be any kind of workplace. You don't wanna yeah I don't know if I want to say the word trigger, but you don't want to bring up emotions that someone maybe isn't in a place to manage in a workplace. Um, yeah or a bar or a restaurant or anywhere anywhere. where it's just not invited (laughs) yeah yeah so I I pick my moments I think is what I'm saying and that might be why I haven't experienced too much stigma because although I do share and although I think in my old team I think everyone really knew that I had been in the system blah, blah blah I had picked those moments to share quite carefully I think
1: yeah I think I'm a a bit like you in that job. Like, I'm very open about my mental health journey. Always have been with colleagues just because... For me, that works for me, and I'm quite an open book. But interestingly, because we were talking about the different fields of nursing, I chose not to go into mental. Sorry, to any. I know. I'm just laughing in the background. he's
0: been joined by Dobby, who today's doing a very good Chewbacca impression. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: I, apologies, <laughs> listeners. Um, I want I just, him to
0: have a Christmas hat for our live <gasps> Christmas episode. He will
1: do. But I was just saying <laughs> because of my. Um, lived experience of mental health and I was quite fresh at the time when I started my nursing I purposefully chose not to do mental nursing
0: Bless you Dobby he's now sneezing
1: That's Dobby's opinion on it Abby so what we like to discuss at the end if you are able to give Abby Martin's pearls of wisdom what would one piece of (laughs) advice be to anyone it can be big or small it can be related to mental health and emotional well-being or completely different what would your sage advice be
4: I feel like I could like write a list but I think it is it's not very creative but checking in with yourself finding time no matter what path of nursing you're on or stage of your nursing career you're at it's just checking in with yourself and whether what that looks like to you so for me I drive home I sit in my car for about 10 seconds before I go in and I check in with myself. Cause although you might be like, Oh, I've had a good day or I've had a bad day. No, actually really check in with yourself. Like how did Bob the patient impact me today? How did that experience with Fred emotionally impact me? Am I actually holding any frustration like in my body? Am I okay? I'm feeling a bit tense why why and I normally I just try and check in with myself before I go in the house and if I'm working from home then I walk around the block after work and I do the same process and it's just putting that time aside to actually not just think am I okay but actually think like how has the day impacted me and then doing whatever you need to do to put that aside um so journaling helps me and reflecting by writing I'm definitely an external processor so that really helps me but um it's making that time to check in with yourself I think after every single shift and sometimes you might be like oh actually I'm feeling great and that's fine but actually I think we can miss how an event or how an appointment or how anything has impacted us And that's not the patient's fault at all that's just our own stuff in our own life but our personal and professional life do clash sometimes and it's about checking in whether you have mental health difficulties yourself or not it's I think that's probably my biggest tip and even checking with yourself through the day if you need
0: yeah I was so excited to hear what your tip was because I had some guesses I thought that might be the one, but I was
4: like, oh, it could be about stationery or plants
0: or voice notes because they're (laughs) all how I think of Abby Martin."
4: (laughs) I mean, I, I do need to buy a new notebook for work and I'm very excited about that. I'm actually waiting until I finish my notebook. I'm like looking at pages. I'm like, oh, I've got 10 pages left. I can go buy myself a new notebook. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, share
0: a stationary. love of stationery don't we? and plants abby's really good at growing plants and she sends <laughs> epic
1: voice notes oh i'm I good do. at killing plants i definitely need some tips there
0: oh no anyway abby thank you so much for sharing Thanks so much with us and me. our listeners but before you go where can people find you
4: people can find me i I need to look at my Twitter I handle mean I don't mean sorry. give your
0: name and address and telephone no, number no. And like where everybody can actually come and knock on your door okay, but I've you're got, on Twitter right? Yeah. Yes
4: I've got my Twitter handle it is MH Nurse Abby so MH in capitals Nurse Abby
1: and is that the same on Instagram because you do quite a lot on Instagram as well I don't do you? my
4: Instagram's less nursing and more plants I will say but my Instagram is Abigail just as um-
1: important <laughs>
4: yeah <laughs> Abigail underscore Martin 97
1: Thank, thank you so you, Abby. much, Abby. And thank you for being so open with us. We love you lots.
4: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, Claire and I are absolutely delighted to be joined by Sally Ann Werry. And Sally Ann is a registered adult nurse and she's senior lecturer for nursing at the University of Gloucestershire. So thank you so much for joining us, Sally Ann.
0: Hi, Sally Ann. This is nice, lovely. N- nice to virtually meet you. Yeah, it me is too. indeed.
1: So we always start each um, interview by just asking you to tell us a little bit about your journey into nursing, how you got into the profession, and then your journey to where you are now, because you've got a truly inspiring story. Obviously, we would love this to be a personal account, but we want this to be as safe a space as possible. So please don't share anything that you would feel uncomfortable with. No, that's fine.
2: I'm, I'm quite an open book, because my students will tell you. So I've when I'm one of the 2001 intake of nursing students, which doesn't feel that long ago. And then I look at the thing, you know, it's like 20 years ago. Oh God, <laughs> I know. I was like 20. That's not okay. I'm just um, keeping
0: quiet now because I went to university for the first time way before that. So I'll just keep my mouth <laughs> shut.
2: So I, I did it as a single mum with a four-year-old. Go you. It was one of the less sane moments of my life, <laughs> deciding to do that. I was quite newly single and going through a lot. And in the middle of my nursing degree, I was suddenly homeless with a child. Oh my. <laughs> and I had a bit of what we in we my family refer to as a moment. <laughs> so <laughs> I ended up having six weeks off. It started out as really bad depression because everything was quite rubbish. And then the GP said, well, why don't we give you an SSRI? At which point it transpires that my response to SSRIs is is to either become epically depressed or to dance across one of the local fields at three o'clock in the morning singing, which was the first hint that I might have bipolar Uh, (laughs) too. Looking back, I can see actually all of that from about when I was 15. I can see those swings. Yeah but you really need to take the long view when, when you're looking at it. And that that was a real bit where the, the consultant went, yeah, never take these again. Um, <laughs> which, which I did, obviously, try again, once again. And I, I nearly bought a 500-foot sewing machine when I didn't sew. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I managed to get back to uni. I scraped through that year. And one of the things I will say is, it's really important to say, it's okay to take a step back. It's okay to pause your cross studies. It's okay to say, this is not my time. And it's okay to say to people around you, actually, this is all a bit shit. <laughs> I'm really having a rough time. Yeah. Because if you don't say that, people assume you're fine. Which, you know, I was in the middle of a placement. and I was not telling the people I was in the placement with how bad it was. I was not telling them any of this stuff. So I've had a bit of a varied for it. <laughs> I think it's fair to say I started out in outpatients and minor injuries I left there and went into prison nursing I joined an agency then and did a lot of different nursing which was really quite cool I really enjoyed agency because you can pick who and where you're working yeah and you get paid a lot for it which is lovely <laughs> <laughs> and and you don't Not a
0: sentence the- that many nurses say
2: I know. I was like, I go to work, I, I just do the job and I go home and none of the politics touches me. It all washes off as I leave the door. And then I got a job as, as a project nurse, um, working with older people, working with care homes specifically, because care home nurses are really isolated and yeah. really underappreciated. It's a really complex area of practice. It's one of my rants that, as you can probably tell. So I did that for a few years, and then I got really fascinated by Parkinson's and became a Parkinson's specialist nurse. And then, and this was before I started treatment, I, in a hypomanic phase, applied for a job in Australia on the internet, got it, moved to Australia. And that was actually really brilliant. A lot of my hypomanic things have turned out unreasonably well, <laughs> Um <laughs> frankly i've been quite lucky with the with the consequences <laughs> so i lived there for seven years uh came back did a bit more of parkinson's nurses around here and then applied for a job at the well, no, i did a year of university work out there came back and did university work here which i love because you see the n- younger nurses the new nurses and they're full of enthusiasm and love for the profession mm. and when you get, get a bit jaded you kind of forget how you felt then. Yeah. And they make me remi- remember why, why it is that I actually want to be That's there. why
0: we do this, so that we hopefully do always remember why.
1: And to try and stop us becoming jaded. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think jaded, we started jaded, Greg.
2: <laughs> Some people are born like that. Yeah. So for me, I got diagnosed with bipolar 2 when I was out there. And my GP said, look, you're terribly low. Let's try a small dose of SSRI. And she she gave me five, 10 milligrams of an SSRI. And a week into that, my friend Katrina said, give me your car keys and your credit card. We're going home. You don't know how to sew. And <laughs> so you don't need a sewing machine or that fabric or that you're not making your own clothes, which ironically I do do now. And took me home and said, here, Brian, who is my husband. Don't let her have her keys or credit cards or access to the internet, frankly. <laughs> so, and then, um, then I, I met a lovely psychiatrist uh, who spent several hours with me, and a therapist, and some lovely medications, which have made my life significantly less painful, <laughs> so, but also less oh, interesting great. in some ways.
0: No more sewing machines. What a well, you are sewing, but what yeah. a great story, and just shows. A, how varied nursing is, but B, how you can overcome all kinds of different things and still get where you want to get and be successful, which is amazing. And obviously, you work now as a nursing lecturer and have been very open to us and, and I think publicly and to your students, certainly about your own mental health issues. But how do you think that's impacted you during your career and in your current role specifically as a lecturer?
3: Well, it has
2: impacted me quite overtly in my career, and there's a couple of instances where I was actually shocked about how brazen the person talking to me was being. One of my managers was going to take a few weeks off, and the tradition was that one of the senior nurses would step in and do it, and I'd done it half a dozen times. I was the only senior nurse around, and I was like, okay, well, I'll be doing it. She said, no, no, I'm getting one of the social workers to do it, and I said, Why? And she said, because of your stress levels, Sally. And I'm like, well, is it my stress levels because I've got 900 patients? Or is it my stress levels because I have bipolar and you think I won't be able to cope with it? And she said, well, I have to consider everything to look after my team. And I said, you haven't answered my question. Mm. I've done it with this level of patience. So is it my bipolar? And she said, yes, I have to take everything into consideration, Sally. I said, "Do do you understand about the Disability Discrimination Act? means you actually can't take that into consideration. And she said, I have to consider everything. So I left the office, emailed our director and HR, and said, this is the conversation I've just had.
0: Wow. Um, And also, she didn't ask you what you wanted to do.
2: No, there was no, there's no, I I very quickly left that job because I was like, you're not a manager I'm going to spend any time with. Oh, I don't Um, blame you. So I believe that she received some re-education from our director because he phoned me within three minutes of me sending that email. And I'm sure that's not what she meant. And I said, well, this is the conversation verbatim, but how else would you like to translate it? Yeah. Um, So I've had other conversations which were less obvious, where Mm. they're like, yes, but your stress levels. And I'm like, yes, my stress levels, but actually my bipolar is incredibly well controlled. I see a therapist and talk through my stuff often. And one of the things I've learned with my therapist is actually a lot of people would like to pin the epic stress in nursing on my bipolar because it says it's me that's not coping rather than the level of work that I'm being given that is uncopable with.
1: Yes, show us a nurse that isn't stressed by work levels.
2: Exactly, exactly.
0: (laughs) That's so true, isn't it? We're talking now particularly around stigma and being a nurse or or an allied health professional with a mental health condition and and the stigma that goes attached to that, but actually... We also have to acknowledge that we all have mental wellness, mental health, and that nursing isn't the easiest journey to maintain that with or without any diagnoses of anything. Exactly. Um, yeah.
1: But it's also interesting what you just alluded to there, sally and Because you have had that mental health diagnosis, you are really cognizant of how you cope and manage that and you can easily identify when you possibly aren't feeling the best that you are because as someone who also had a mental health diagnosis and continues to be well I've just recently been discharged from my psychiatrist but I would say like you I'm hyper acutely aware of when things are going wrong so I feel like I'm able to manage my stress better than someone who may or may not have a diagnosis would you agree with that?
2: absolutely i have a toolkit of and particularly because it took me 20 years to get to a diagnosis i have a toolkit of ways of coping if you've got bipolar 2 i don't know how much your listeners know i obviously mental health nurses hopefully will know but the, the dip- downswing <laughs> yeah the downswing is really dangerous and really epic the upswing is not actually that much of a problem for me in hypomania i can feel the gas So I can use that a little bit if I'm really pressured for work. I'll put my foot on the gas a little bit and go, yeah, okay, so tomorrow's going to be a bit shift or the day after because I'll have a downswing. but I need this gas. I rapid cycle. Yeah. I really rapid cycle.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? Because I have a son who we've interviewed on this podcast who has a diagnosis of autism. And there's a very – a lot of parents say, you know – If you've met one child with autism, you've met one child with autism. And it's the same about everybody, isn't it? We have to remember that you are the expert on you. and, And what comes with any diagnosis is a human being. And we can't separate those two things. So you know you, you are the expert in you and what works for you and what doesn't. Exactly. And and we need to, and that's why, particularly as mental health nurses, I think we walk alongside you. We don't push you, lead you, shove you. It's about your journey, your recovery, and how we can help facilitate and, and make that better. But that's a really important part for me that other healthcare professionals need to understand about us all, that it's your journey, your recovery, your story, not mine, not somebody else's. And and like that nurse that you've described or other people, it's not up to us to tell you that you're too stressed to be able to do something.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I recently chose to go off sick because I was very, very stressed. Mm. Um, I don't know how much you know about Nursing education right now, but it's quite a stressful place to be living in the pandemic with a load of students who are all going through this trauma for the first time. They're all in the pandemic. But I've got a cohort of students who've never been a nurse, not in a pandemic. They're going to grow up and be really scary, I think. Um, (laughs) Grow up as nurses, I mean. They're going to be really tough. Yeah. But yeah, I think for me it's the coping skills to survive that depression untreated mean that I can identify. And my husband as well can identify when I'm on the heading low. We know exactly what we need to do. I have actually a written document that says exactly what I need and what I don't need. And, you know, there's times where, like, yes, going and having a lovely bath is helpful for stress. The running around behind me, you might hear, my dog has realised that my daughter's come home.
1: Um, We're fans and, of dogs on this podcast. We are.
2: But she's <laughs> and she's a boxer, so she's, she's actually... Going a little bit crazy right now. (laughs) So, getting to know your own mental health and the bits you need to manage and how you manage them. A bath works really well when I'm mildly stressed, but when I'm really deeply stressed, sitting quietly alone in a room area which has things like razors in it's a terrible idea yeah it's like a mental health nurse will say to me well why don't you have a lovely bath I'm like because I I don't want to sit in a room with razors in there yeah um or why didn't you why didn't you go and take a drive somewhere I'm like because driving when I'm really this low is a really really unsafe idea and and
0: that insight into your own needs and wants is remarkable and I think you know we have to acknowledge that not everybody does have that insight mm-hmm. so but there is a difference between seeing somebody who you think is so poorly that they don't have that level of insight or that lack of understanding down their journey to telling somebody else whether with or without a diagnosis that they can't do this because they're Absolutely. too stressed they're too upset they're too emotional they're too you know, we have to take. We wouldn't say that to somebody with a physical illness. Your two, your sugars are too too, too, too high or to too low. That. Yeah, you're too diabetic, <laughs> too asthmatic to do that. Unless yeah. it was a matter of obvious safety, and 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 we that's where parity of esteem comes in. We should yeah. be talking in the same way about physical and mental health. That actually, it's down to that individual. Yes, there may. In very, very few cases, come a point where we have to intervene, but we all think of things like bipolar and schizophrenia as the extremes. You know, people with yeah. schizophrenia are the people who you see in the news walking around with axes, and it's a load of nonsense, and that's where the stigma comes from for me.
1: Yeah, and I think what's so shocking, Sally Ann, about the example you've given, but we've seen it so many times, is particularly nurses who should be caring and compassionate and understanding. Not just with patients and service users, but with one another, is where they would weaponize a diagnosis against you. That to me yeah. is just horrendous.
2: I've, I've had it said a few times. Well, you shouldn't talk. You shouldn't say that so openly at work. You shouldn't talk about. It. But if I talk about it openly at work, I'm in an incredibly privileged position. First, as a specialist nurse, because there are not that many Parkinson's nurses around in the world, um, so I'm employment-wise, I'm quite safe. And so I could speak about it. My patients, a lot, you know, most of Parkinson's patients come with psychiatric issues. They have anxiety, they have depression, they have hallucinations, they have delusions, uh, memory problems. And so if I can speak to them in the way that I'd like to be spoken to about mine, where it's as matter of fact, as it is my pain levels or my sleep problems or the tremor that they're experiencing, if I keep that matter-of-fact tone about the symptoms that are mental health and I treat them no differently, then I make it equally as valid for my patients to have that conversation. Because if you treat it differently, you make it a shameful thing. So one of the symptoms in Parkinson's for men in the autonomic function is they might lose their erection. If I ask that question in one way that makes it shameful or awkward, then I make it a thing. Whereas if I ask it in the same time that I ask about their mobility or their stress or their bowels, then it's not a thing yeah. because the guy will just answer it. And I'll get a lot more out of my patients that way. If we as nurses treat mental health as, well, we don't really talk about that, dear, you shouldn't mention that you've got depression. You shouldn't mention you've got bipolar, particularly not to your students. But I've had students come and disclose to me about their mental illness who've never spoken to anyone about it before. Hmm. because I speak so loudly it's the reason I talk about it so loudly is because they can have that door open then
1: it makes you a safe person to talk to
2: yeah it's like putting your pronouns in your signature or on your slides it's a flag that says hey guys I see you and actually you know I'm there I'm one of you
1: I think that's so great We sort of alluded to it, Sally-Ann, but we know there's a lot of talk about reducing stigma and mental illness and parity of esteem. And it does feel like there's been a shift, possibly a small shift in some areas, but there still seems to be quite a lot of stigma, as you've alluded to, around allied health professionals and nurses with mental health issues. Is this something that you particularly are conscious of and, and how does that personally affect you?
2: I am conscious of it because, although I disclose and I disclose loudly, and I'm, I attempt to be quite cheerful and proud about it, and um, the fact that I've survived to be forty something, um, <laughs> with, with so little medication and treatment up until a certain point, is quite amazing. I've never been hospitalised, which is frankly a miracle for someone with bipolar two with no di- no diagnosis yeah. at that time, but. I'm always aware of people's responses to it. Yeah. And there are some people that I'll say, I'll mention it in passing in the same way that I mentioned my asthma or my arthritis. Yeah. I deliberately put them on par when I'm talking. Um, I use them as examples. But there are some people who respond with, oh, you poor dear type of tone. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, I, I actually have a bit of a superpower. If I need to work really fast, you have no idea the speed my brain works at 90% of the time. It, I can't get it to clock off. That's the only problem I have.
1: So, <laughs> You're your hypermania superpower.
2: <laughs> yeah, if I have loads of stuff to do, I can let go of the control a little bit if I need to. But also being that sensitive is superpower because I can really read my patients.
1: Yeah. Knowing what that
2: pain is like means that I can really empathize with my patients. Having been in the systems, I know which bits work and which aren't working and where I may need to go around the houses a bit for my patients. And I know like the services for mental health right now are cut to the bone. Um and clinicians are managing caseloads they've never managed before because why would anyone reasonably put them through that? So you know, if you're waiting for therapy now, I can say to a patient, look. You might get the the app, the CBT app they're offering, or you Mm -hmm. might get a group CBT, or you might wait 18 months to see an actual individual one-on-one session. Or I can refer you to the hospice, because actually what you're experiencing is grief of, of the loss of your role, of your life. And you can do some work in the hospice, and they'll see you next week. And so because I know the state of services and I know where I can go, I've got the ability to understand, whereas if you didn't have the experience of waiting when you're in pain, then you you might not understand how urgent it is, because Mm -hmm. some people who've never had it might think, well, low mood, you know, have a cup of tea, talk to a friend, and you don't understand the severity of the pain people are in.
1: Yeah. And what do you think we could do, sally Ann? that I'm using the royal we as a nursing (laughs) profession to... To try and reduce that stigma further where we seem to be failing what do you think is something that we could we could look at doing
2: I think that the people who are secure and safe need to speak up the people who can should advocate I think that we need to put pressure on management to understand that actually what's happening at the moment is instead of just leaving mental health with the stigma, they're creating a whole series of people who have more mental health problems. Yeah. Because we're nursing in a pandemic, in a nursing shortage, and being treated like you're being dramatic if you are become unwell because of it.
1: Yeah.
2: You get put in an unreasonable situation and then treated like you're being unreasonable when you
1: respond to it reasonably. Yeah. <laughs> well, so true. I would really like clinical environments but anywhere I suppose you to as a nursing lecturer or nurse researchers there to be the same sort of freedom to have a mental health sick day Mm. as you would do if you were ill with a physical ailment there seems to be much more stigma attached and judgment attached if you were to take some time off for your mental health than if you got COVID and you needed 10 days off
2: yeah, I've seen colleagues struggle through because it's their own, it's only their mood. And when I went back to work today, a colleague replied to me saying that I was going off sick and giving a hand up say, like, Well, it was about time, Sally. <laughs> I was like, yeah. okay, I feel seen.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: But he's right. I should have gone off earlier. I should have looked after myself better.
1: But that's um, so nice that you had that.
2: Yeah, my colleagues are amazing, you know. Um we we are quite a merry band.
0: it's true though isn't it you know we wouldn't say to somebody who was off with their physical health for five ten days or anything well you shouldn't have had that time off because that's not life limiting or you know that's not whereas actually it's those I don't like the word low level but those days that you need to stop you falling off the edge to stop you yeah. you going down that slope of whatever is troubling you, whether that's anxiety or depression or stress or a combination of, or a diagnosed condition or a not diagnosed condition, it's those few days that people just either don't take or feel they have to lie to yeah. take it. They have oh, to no, phone no, up and call. say, oh, "I've got tonsillitis," <laughs> yeah, or I've, "I've got this, that, and the other," and actually, yeah. wouldn't it be? you know, I mentioned Parity and Steam earlier, we should be able to say, actually, I just can't keep going. I just need a few days because I just can't keep going.
1: Um, Uh, Are you guys on TikTok? I am, yes. I'm a lurker on TikTok.
0: I'm I'm very poor at it and my children would like me to remain that way and totally (laughs) disassociated from TikTok because I think they fear that if I get into it, they may be shamed beyond belief. (laughs)
2: Well, I'm on TikTok and I don't know if you guys have seen this, but the the pug. In our household, we've started to refer in those days where you have to stay in bed as a no bones day. So there is this pug on TikTok who predicts the day by either having a 13-year-old pug, it's gorgeous, the owner lifts it up to see if it's awake and if it falls over it has no bones and it's, oh, you wow. have to look after yourself. I'll send you the link on
1: Twitter. Oh that sounds cool.
2: um, And if, he's, if he manages to stand up it's a bones day and you should go out there and get it. And so we've started referring to it as a, a no bones day if we need a day like that. So in our house we've got a weighted blanket on the sofa so if you need a real no bones day and you just sort of snuggle down and go okay well today I'm just if I have to do anything, I'm doing the very bare minimum. Yeah. And I've had a couple of days recently where the most I achieved was watching an entire series of Golden Girls, which has <laughs> aged surprisingly well.
0: That is a fantastic achievement. That that's not like, even, I
2: that's so. just
0: like... I was like proud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was I and for those of you that don't in. know who Golden Girls is, you, you're just Google too it, young. you need to
2: watch them. Yeah. <laughs> They're on Disney Plus at the moment, the whole yeah. lot of it. I've worked through eight seasons over the last four weeks.
1: Wow, I would love That's... to throw in a cheeky extra quick question that we She's had to do that because you knew I was just about to ask the last one. No, only because <laughs> I want to use your we have a lot of student nurses that listen to this podcast or aspirant nurses that are wanting to get into nursing, and I would just like to ask you, with your experience of being a nurse lecturer, a lot of students are very worried about disclosing mental health because they've had people say to them, "You shouldn't be a nurse if you have." mental health concerns or feel like if they are really struggling, they have to step off their programme or i have had people in placement make comments about mental health. So as a nurse lecturer and someone with experience of having a mental health diagnosis, what support would you give or what words of wisdom would you give to aspirant nurses and student nurses who are perhaps struggling and with their mental health and think that that could impede a, a career in nursing?
2: I would say that I've I've been at this university for a few years now. I've been in the one in Canberra. I would say that I've seen every type of mental health diagnosis go through the doors, and I've seen them graduate. There are some times where you don't need to step off your course, but you need to pause it to give Mm -hmm. yourself a moment to be in the best place to step back on it, take it up again, and move on. In the same way that if you broke your leg, you'd pause and you'd take the rest and you wouldn't be hobbling around the ward and bragging your and legs <laughs> behind you going, no, no, I'm fine, I can carry on. You take the pause, you take the time off you need. And also a lot of universities have a lot of support for their students now. I know yeah. that I refer our students to our counselling team and they're brilliant. They'll be with them the whole way. And we yep. have personal tutors, and I've I started keeping tissues in my office. That's just and the
0: university <laughs> services don't seem to have the same waiting lists as some no, other services. Don't. So when we have students into secondary mental health services, quite often we're able to say to them, "Actually, go and explore what your university's got first, because you might find that you yeah. you can be seen quicker, more appropriately, at times that suit you." In a way that suits you, so that those services are great. And I think you're right about taking the pause. I mean, I took the world's longest pause, quite possibly, twenty four years. That's a Um, pause. You know, support. Well, it was a it was a stop, unfortunately, but I like to think of it as a pause now. Um, You came came back and you did it. I came back and started again. So (laughs) that's a stop. That's a pause (laughs) with a different field. But I think you're right. But it's got to be the right time. It's got to be the right place. So, which. Leads us nicely to our last question because our last question is always What piece of advice would you give to our listeners? It can be teeny tiny, big or small. It can be related to mental health. It could be related to sewing. Who knows? I'm really intrigued what your piece of advice would be. But what is your advice to nurses?
2: See, this was a hard one for me. I think mine is that you need to police your boundaries. Don't allow other people to say that it's your mental health when it's their piece of crazy. If they're saying, I'm sorry that the 60 hour week I'm trying to make you do is making you feel really low and, and wobbly and crying. But you know, you've you've got to manage your mental health. No, you've got to manage your workload. And it's as my manager, it's your job to manage my workload. And I'm going to go back to my 37 hours. And that then it seems like a you problem. So don't be afraid to do that, because frankly, at this point in nursing, you can get another job.
1: Yeah.
2: And they're not going to come back and look after you if you get sick they're not they'll just go oh well so-and-so's off sick can I cover her shifts
1: yeah let's put it out to the bank
2: (laughs) yeah so you might as well just go you know what actually you're not treating me with the respect my labor deserves you're not looking after me in the way that I as a person deserve I wish you luck in the future see you later I'm going to get another job (laughs) I love that.
0: I wish you luck in the future. See you later. No, but and that's really every, good,
2: eh? every resignation letter
1: should end <laughs> like that. <laughs> no, but that is great, and it reminds me it of is. that expression, which is "go where you're valued." Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. If someone's
2: treating you like that, they don't value your time. They don't value you as a person. And and we, should, we are, and we all of you as well,
0: isn't it? It's all yeah. value, all of you, not exactly. just ah, oh, she'd be really good, but or yeah. well, if you could just change this, then. You know, whether that's to do with your health or your, your personal situation or whatever, your handwriting, you know, it can be anything. Can be really good but No, actually, this is me. I come as me. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'm a package. And I'm actually better as a nurse and a lecturer because I'm a bit of a nutter. You know, <laughs> I'm organized because my brain is disorganized. I, have, I have lists because my brain is not. At one point I did actually have lists of separate lists that I had going
0: amazing Uh, like a list a master list uh, please tell me you watch Bake Off sally Ann. of course did you watch did you see the extraordinary cake
2: oh my god I love that cake I know I've I've had to seek her out on TikTok and follow her because Uh, I was just like that is my brain
0: yeah I I mean I don't have a diagnosis of ADHD I know that was her representation but that cake just was unbelievable but we digress Uh, So Sallyanne, if people want to find you and follow you on social media, how can they do that?
2: Uh, well, I because I am I'm an early adopter. I am S-A-Werry, S A W H E W R Y on TikTok and Twitter. So Fabulous. I think I've got an Instagram, but I've mostly ignored it because <laughs> I'm irritated with it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, that Thank you like for clear. taking it. Is <laughs> yeah,
0: me. I'm t- I'm just like I don't get it. I, you don't
2: yeah, get it
1: either. I don't either. get it. You thank, you talk, I love so, it. <laughs> thank you so, so much for speaking with us, sally Ann. And thank, thank you for being you. so frank and honest. And it's just been brilliant. And
0: thank we you. should start the day with a chat with sally Ann because I feel all happy now.
1: <laughs> we should. I was so stressed at the end of shift running <laughs> about and now I feel I'm going to cartwheel out oh, the office as I lock up. Back at you
2: guys. And we could just have like a morning coffee of like... Yeah, be amazing.
1: <laughs> thank you so much. Okay, mwah, bye. Bye.
2: bye. I am
0: delighted today to be joined by Nicole McIntosh, who is the Regional Head of Nursing and Midwifery for Health Education England in London. Hi, Nicole. So nice to have you today.
3: Hi, Claire. It's really good to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: That's okay. And sadly, Craig can't be with us today. He's not been able to make it. So he'll listen and catch up. But I know he was gutted to not be able to talk to you today. But we start with every guest and we'd like to start with you. Can you just tell us a little bit about your journey, where you've got to where you are, how that happened? We'd love it to be a personal account, but don't share anything you don't feel comfortable with.
3: Okay. So my journey in nursing started in 1997 as a very quiet, student nurse at um, Redwood College in London Salt Bank University. And I've always been quite quiet and reserved, Mm -hmm. but caring. So when the opportunity came for me to train to be a nurse, I jumped at it. It's the best decision I've ever made. And I've had a 21-year career in the NHS. Um, As someone from a minority background, it was a culture shock to just get used to to the way of living, let alone working. But I've found that I'm I'm a a strong advocate for the NHS and the opportunities that it presents. So my career has been varied. I started out at the Royal London in Whitechapel on a medical ward and then quickly went into working in hematology and research research being a nurse specialist for some years, mm-hmm. but then finding that I specialized too quickly and had to really go take a step back and learn how to manage people. And I think that's something that's really important to have the humility to understand that the journey won't be straight. There'll be, you know, peaks ups and downs, drops, <laughs> but it's all learning. And as Nelson Mandela says, we never lose. We either win or we learn. And sometimes we just need to learn from decisions that we make. And when we're advising is saying, think about specializing too quickly so yes I'm here as a regional head of nursing at and midwifery at Health Education England and it's it's a wonderful opportunity to be a nursing leader in these times when we recognize the role that nurses play and as we attract new people into to the role so I'm really keen to do podcasts and to work with people like you who are inspirational to show that when you're a nurse you can do almost anything you know including podcasts like this. It's such a varied
0: role, isn't it? And I love that quote by Nelson Mandela. It's not one I'm familiar with, but I really like that. That's a really changes
3: your it changes your perspective on when things don't go quite right. You either win or you learn. You never lose. I love it. I love it. I'm going Mm -hmm. to use that with
0: my kids. That's I really like that. That's really, really good. And obviously, this episode's about mental health and stigma. And we've addressed that and talked about that in our podcast before, but specifically we're looking at it amongst the workforce amongst nurses and among, amongst other health professionals and you tweet and blog about using poetry as a healing art and and one particular recent blog that i read really touched me and I, I you know really enjoyed it but how did you start writing poetry and how does that help you to manage your own mental well-being
3: yes so i started writing i've i've always written but i never saw myself as a poet or anything It was only when I was going through a very tough time and I speak openly about this because I think it's important for us to speak our truth and to be candid as much as we are prepared to at that stage of the healing process. But as part of my healing with what I was facing in the NHS, I needed to let my thoughts be released from me. Yeah. You know, people say I, I, you hear actors say I, once it was out of my system, I, I felt more at ease, and I found that as well. So the thoughts that were in my head, once I started putting them down on paper, there was some kind of release, some sense of it can't harm me anymore. So I started writing, and I I just wrote poems, but I didn't I didn't really think of it as being a poet. You know, I didn't want to label myself. It was just me kind of, I like rhyming. So at the end of each line, I rhyme. You know, <laughs> it's just something that I quite like. As a child, I remember reading poems. And if they didn't rhyme, it's like I was thinking, oh, come on, you could have at least <laughs> Could have tried a rhyme. bit harder. Yeah, I tried a <laughs> bit harder. So it was just a, a part of me just needed to come out. And um it was only after I had a conversation with a famous dog poet in Jamaica called Yesa Safari that he said, do you write poems? And I thought I'm blogging, but I don't think I have poems. And when I went back and looked, I found poems. For me, it's healing because my poems are hard hitting. I touch on topics that some people might not necessarily want to hear. And they might be thinking, oh, Nicole, I think you can be quiet now. We've heard you. We know your (laughs) point. But, But my thing about it is but you haven't heard my my view on it yet. Yeah. I, I might, but I always end in a positive way, even if I'm saying it's tough going. And after the George Floyd killing, I really went yeah. hard. You know, I went hard because people were so outraged. And I was I was shocked and a bit annoyed that people hadn't realized that this is reality. But then I was annoyed at myself for being so arrogant in thinking that my experiences were shared. So yeah. I end with a positive. The sun will rise, you know, it will get better. I but know is I have noticed
0: that about all your writing that the, the yes. last line is always yes. something it, it's important hope. it's that it's word important. hope I think
3: yeah without hope the people perish without hope what's the point how will you get out of bed the next day so for me yes we're having conversations about the elephant in the room about race about why people who look like me act like me are sometimes feeling confined and restricted yes we're having that discussion but guess what we can still have a laugh. We can disagree and we can still have a laugh. Yes. We can we we can be human about it. We can approach our curiosity with respect, asking yeah. questions with respect. So it's very healing. And I want people to take away that. I'm not just an angry, bitter, twisted person. I'm not <laughs> touching on topics that other people are angry about. And I may get angry too, but that is not a permanent state it's yeah. not good to be
0: permanently. Like, I, d- I don't think your writing comes across as angry maybe occasionally frustrated that's right yes. maybe occasionally frustrated and, and, and but that's, not that's angry yes. yeah yes. and and so I'm interested you talked about having these feelings in your head and poetry being a release do you think that and and you've you've touched on on race and the fact people looking like you do you think there was more stigma for you it, or you felt more stigma and more pressure to be okay and to not have those conversations oh, yes. about, oh, yeah.
3: Yes. Definitely, because I'm someone who wears my heart on my sleeve. I'm very proud to say that I, I won't sugarcoat it. If something is is in front of me that makes me feel sad, I will say, oh, that's really mm. sad, isn't it? A tear might fall. And people were always looking to me, tough now, come on, what's wrong with you? Yeah. In, in your in your Not day, helpful. You
0: know, Sentence exactly tough enough is it yeah uh... yeah
3: you need to have more thick skin and it's, it's comments like those that made me kind of think well if i can't cope with this there's no point in even aspiring to get to a higher stage because i'm going to be expected to cope with more and not show my emotions so i was kind of torn in terms of where do i go with my career let alone the fact that when i apply for a role if someone is biased they might not even allow me to be shortlisted I was stopping myself so I had to kind of learn to associate with people who saw the the real me and who understood why it is that I blog why it is that I share my vlogs why do I do Twitter chats to encourage other people to use their voices I had to say to people when I'm doing the Twitter chats Twitter is not about following the Kardashians you know (laughs) because <laughs> that's what we were thinking at the time you know, yeah. all about the Kardashians I'm saying no actually you can go on Twitter and have intellectual debates you can you can learn about things that you might not necessarily have time in your so much. world yeah. and it flattens the hierarchy so for me Exactly. We
0: connect with people. I yes. probably would never have yes. walked into
3: your hospital, knocked on the door exactly.
0: and said, hi, Nicole, but on Twitter, yes. that's OK. Yes. That's OK and to have
3: those conversations. I agree. And it's very important for us to, to have those conversations and to get away from titles and status and, and egos and all of that that gets in the way of us being Kind and caring people, which is what we settled to be when we came into the profession.
0: And, and building this diverse community, and I, and I, we, Craig and I both talk about our people gathering your people, and you build this diverse network and community so that if you are struggling with something, you you have the right people to go and ask, or if you want to ask a difficult question, you know, if I'm confronted by my own bias or I- issues that I've had, I-, I can go and say, actually, Nicole, can I have a conversation with you about this because I'm not quite Sally. sure where I'm at because we've got that connection. And for me, that's a really important part of keeping myself mentally well, is having those connections to say, I don't know all the answers, but I can go and have those conversations to to find
3: out. I think you're absolutely right. You know, that psychological safety for people to to disclose, even to disclose your vulnerabilities in a safe space where you know the person is going to respect your confidentiality. Yeah. So if you're struggling... If actually you've had a tough weekend and you are anxious, it's important for me and my team that they are able to say, "Nicole, I'm having a tough time. I, I, I need some time out." Yeah. And for me, not uh, for me not to judge. For me to say, "Thank you for coming to me," and of course, you can have the time. What do what else can I do to support you? But sometimes we get on this treadmill where it's like, "What's wrong with you? It's Monday and you're already complaining and giving out these negative vibes that people just think." Well, I won't be doing that again. Yeah. This is the reaction I got. That that really hurts. And we're not to do that as leaders. For sure. And do you think that's different in terms of
0: almost not saying mental illness or mental health, but mental well-being and physical yes. well-being, in that yes. if people have a yes. specific physical illness or issue, yes. we're much more as healthcare professionals understanding about that. But if we're saying I'm mentally fatigued or I'm struggling with my anxiety, do you think that stigma exists still within healthcare?
3: I think it still does. It's a lot less. I think COVID has done a lot in terms of, you know, even with moral injury where we are in a position where we're sometimes not able to give the care that we give. And there is almost a permission to, to speak openly about that. But there is still a sense that, if it's to the extreme end, so if you're suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and it's really big and fancy, yeah, exciting, you can yeah. speak about that. But if you're just struggling a little bit where you found yesterday a little bit intense and 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 it's at the earlier stages, it's like you kind of, for me, it doesn't feel as if we're at the stage where we're encouraging any kind of shift in focus to be. Expressed, it's like, is that all you had to fulfill with? Well, I had to do this, and is an yeah, that like a it's competition a competition? <laughs> suffering the most. But it's interesting. Get of that.
0: Yeah, we talked to Abby, who guests on the poddle have heard earlier. She's an interview, and we talked specifically about labels and how yes. do people need yes. a diagnosis or do they not, and yes. what defines us about labels? And and that's a similar thing, isn't it? If you've got a, a label yes. or a, a, a diagnosis, yes. maybe that yes. opens the conversation, but that actually you, like, you're right today was tough or last week was tough yes. That that's sort of much yes. harder so it's really interesting how that all connects and obviously you use poetry but do you think creativity like art or writing or photography music any of those kind of creative aspects can reduce stigma among AHPs and nurses who've got their own difficulties with mental health and how do
3: we do that? I agree I think any kind of creative outlet that makes your mind shift in focus from the, the, the mundane you know the day-to-day activity that's quite helpful so I think yes it's it's to be encouraged and it can take any form that people choose.
0: Do you think we should be encouraging that in work then do you think that should yes. be something we're doing how, yes. how how should we do that? I
3: think I think leaders need to share what they're doing. So almost giving permission to say, look what I did. I did some knitting over the weekend. I think you're right about it coming from leadership, because actually before my
0: career in nursing, I'm thinking about an old boss I used to have. No, he wasn't old, a boss from <laughs> my past. And he he used to say to us all, where's your hour of self-development? The work you've put in for for reading or for going for a walk or for that needs to be in for work time and that was such a lesson to me wow that that's one hour he said you have to have it you have to put it in I want to see it and I want to see you doing it every week because that gave us permission to know that caring for ourselves in work was important and I don't see that in the NHS
3: no and I think we need to get to that point as we work virtually, uh, I have um, almost insisted that my team build in that headspace. They can call it headspace, that hour. You know, when you just go yeah. back to back meetings and it's three o'clock and you've just realized you're, you haven't eaten. And you're yeah. wondering why you have a headache, but it's because you're dehydrated. So yeah. it's building that in. So what, what I've had to do is make sure I lead by example. So my assistant, Elvis, he goes in and he blocks time. And they my staff have access to my diary and they see that I'm blocking the time. Yeah. So they too are now saying actually we need to block time. We need to just we need to live the values.
0: You're right, because we'd never book hour-long meetings at 10, 11, 12, and 1 if we exactly. were going to them, would we? Exactly. But back to back in COVID, we've yes. done that. So yes. call after call and or video yes. calls. So yes. and I think that's probably Community teams and those working from home, but the same on the wards that yes. try. You know, we're we're terrible, aren't we, at taking our breaks as nurses and make it just to get outside and get some fresh air and see the sky and those kind of yes. things.
3: And also on the wards, you know, this thing about not having drinks at the workstation station. There was a, a a campaign to get rid of that. Is that judging? You know, that yeah. judging how dear you want to have a drink um, while you're working. And others have been innovative in having drink stations you know really lovely yeah. ways of sh- giving permission to say we need you to be hydrated we've set a section for you rather than the matron or whoever is going in and telling people off and then screaming at them for not having a break so it's, we need to as leaders we need to really show our staff that we care not just say to tick a box it's it's actually how do you how do you show people that you care it's when the staff are busy when they're short staff when you go in and and help them and say what does what what needs doing you know and that for me is that visible compassionate leadership that we need you're right and that reduction in
0: stigma around anything challenging around people's mental health yes. has that has to come from leadership
3: doesn't it It has to definitely so. definitely and as we as we attract people with lived experiences of mental health issues who can empathize with patients when patients are talking yeah and you know it's not about sharing all your experiences but it's to say i too understand when you say this because i've i've been through this and telling students that it's okay, we welcome you. And, you know, whatever whatever issues you have as a family, as a team, we'll work together to make sure that you flourish. But just be open with us, trust us with with this information. We are privileged this information, and it will never be used against you. It will be used to ensure that you shine. And I think when we're genuinely saying this and living this, we'll attract the the kind of people that we need, with the values that we need for the profession. Oh, that's such a lovely thought. So you've almost done my last question for me, but I'm going to ask you
0: anyway. We ask all of our guests for a unique piece of advice for nurses and it can be anything. It can be about the topic of mental health stigma or it can be about anything at all, big or small, practical, existential, whatever you like. So what's your one tip?
3: I would say bring your authentic self to work. Yeah. You spend a lot of time at work. We want to see the real you, the quirky you, you know, the eccentric you. We want to know more about you. You're not just a number. You're a human who is valued. So we want to know when you're baking, bring some baking in. We want to know when you- (laughs) Definitely want to know about baking. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. On a regular basis. So we we, we want to know the real you. Don't be afraid to show your culture as long as it's respectful and tolerant and you're not trying to impose on others. We really want to see the whole diversity and the tapestry and what makes us unique because together we're stronger when we're able to kind of share and we learn from each other and we're more we're more sensitive and culturally aware. So bring your authentic self to the table. I love so that. It. Thank you. And if people want to find your poetry
0: or follow you, uh, where can they do that?
3: I share a lot. I have a commitment to Twitter, not an addiction. So I like to make <laughs> I like that a commitment, that. not an addiction. I like that. And my website is Nicole, so it's N I C H O L E, Macintosh, M C I N T O S H, so all one word, dot um, com. And people can see all the work that I'm doing. It's about inspiring others to be even better. So when you look at it and you think, oh, she's done all of this, now I'm a very normal um, unassuming person. And if it makes you feel that you want to achieve more, I, I'll be the cheerleader for you. So I think it's important for us as leader, leaders to pass the button on, to set an example, but not limit people. So I want to hear about nurse entrepreneurs. So visit the website and leave a comment. You know? Oh,
0: brilliant. And they can find you on Twitter as well, can't they? And yes. you're, are you yes. at Nicole McIntosh? At McIntosh Nicole. That's right. OK, that's yes. great. So thank you.
3: Thank you for your time today, Nicole. Thank you very much, Claire. It's been lovely.
1: Wow, what an absolute privilege and honour to Abby, to sally and to Nicole for speaking to us. So, so much to process and think about and we're so touched by how open and honest yeah. the three were with us. It's yeah. such a privilege.
0: So, so much so. And oh, can we just mention Nicole's beautiful voice? Because oh, that for me is...
1: I'm so sad you know. not to be there when I was editing it. I was like, oh, don't stop talking. I can forever.
0: <laughs> I know. So she's somebody I could definitely listen to. And she does some very short blogs around some of the poetry she does. So you can hear more of her by going to that. But I think everything they said, their stories were really different. But actually, some of the things that came out of it were really similar. And that was really interesting for me to hear about in terms of how they view other people, how other people have viewed them, and what they do to manage their mental health within work and that I think is irrespective of any diagnosis and that's really important to acknowledge that we're not talking here about specific mental health conditions yes you may have a diagnosed mental health condition yes you may have had challenges but people who have been on an acute mental health ward who may have been held under the mental health act and detained or people who have no diagnosis and aren't on medication and are struggling, actually some of the things you do are exactly the same. And if we start to recognize that, that should reduce some of the stigma. It is about talking. And we've said that in lots of different episodes. You know, our very, very first episode of the podcast, when we think about talking to Calvin and Tara about being allies, one of the things we talked about was, if you don't know, ask a question if you don't know something about the protected characteristic or something that somebody's doing, ask the questions, don't go and make assumptions and talk about people behind their back. And so all of those things that we've discussed around gender and equality and sexuality and race, race, all of those things are the same as this. It's about saying, I've never walked in your shoes. Please tell me what I can do. Please tell me how I can support you. Please If you feel that you can share, tell me how this is affecting you and what I can do to be better and be an ally. And I think this is no different.
1: I agree. And there's also such intersectionality because people's mental health and emotional well-being will be affected because of protected characteristics such as race and gender, gender identity, sexuality. It's impossible. We are a rich tapestry As humans, we have so many things that make us who we are. And like physical health is not disparate from mental health, we cannot possibly detach all our experiences and they inform how we react to things. And it's it's so important that people are, are cognizant of that, particularly when we're talking about mental health. And something that really struck me when I was listening to Nicole, because sadly I couldn't be there, was when she discussed that, It is a privilege for health practitioners to discuss their mental health and their emotional well-being. And as leaders and managers and colleagues that we really need to create that safe space to help people flourish. We shouldn't be using people's diagnosis or their mental health in general, whether they have a diagnosis or not, against them, to weaponize them, to lessen them or other them. We should be using it to obviously be aware and cognizant of this for these people but how can we help them to flourish and and be the best that they can be and absolutely I just, that was so touching
0: i i think so and i think that could just go through every part of the workplace. And I think one of the things that actually none of the interviews touched on, but it's something to remember is just think about how you talk about anybody, whether that's a patient or a colleague, because you might be discussing somebody's mental health because it's part of the care that you're providing, but you don't know who's listening and you don't know their lived experience. And I think that's really important to understand that they may have a a mental health condition themselves their friends families partners extended family might have those things so if you don't know or understand something ask questions and don't make assumptions because that's what keeps stigma going yeah. if we assume those kind of things but I think some of the advice that they all gave about checking in
1: yeah
0: on yourself was just so important and I'm not very good at it traditionally i have but to I make think myself do that board,
1: everyone can do that i think you, you yeah. don't need a mental health diagnosis that's what was so great about abby's is every single nurse it's a stressful job or anyone that is not in nursing or life is stressful at the moment i mean look, hello look at what we've just been through it's yeah. so important that everyone checks in and that is in essence a really simple thing that we can all do
0: and, and i'm bad at it i'll tell you now i'm terrible at it i don't do very well in my own space a lot of the time i Hmm. i'm like being surrounded by people i'm much better at it i've taught myself to be better at it but one of the things i do is check in on myself through talking to my friends and i find that really important for me so i think it's really important to acknowledge you do this the way you need to do it what works for you and and have that but do do that. Do take that time. You know, Abby saying sitting in the car, or if she's been working at home, she goes out and walks around the block, and it's that lesson for me where I've been working at home that's made me really think about how I need to do that, and so that's been really important. So yeah, sometimes if I'm in the car on the way home, I'll be phoning someone and having a chat to them, or yeah. and that's for me that that separation. And I find that really important.
1: So I think they all have sort of touched on that in various different ways. And I think what sally Ann and Abby um, said as well is that though, and I said this at the start, though I want to share my story to make it easier for others and to normalise having mental health conditions or regulating your emotional well-being, you must do so in a place where you feel safe. You Absolutely. You should never feel pressured to. You should only disclose in a place where you feel safe to and you should never feel like you have to share anything if you don't want to and i thought that was really important and sally and went even further to go where you are valued if someone is not valuing you or is judging you because of your mental health that's not a place you want to be like there are plenty of nursing vacancies. Get out, bye-bye. Like, there is no reason that you should stay there. And then that encompassed back to what Nicole said, that we should never have those sort of toxic cultures and environments in the first place because we should have it enshrined that we are supportive people as nurses and in healthcare, and we should be supporting people to be the best that they can be. So that, that, in in a utopia, we wouldn't even have... That situation happening in the first place,
0: because we know as well, don't we, that stress on an individual can affect their presentation, their character, the way they interact with people, their communication style, and they may come across as snappy, judgmental, uncaring. Actually, let's take a second to reflect and say, "Well, are you okay? No, are you okay?" And if we all try and just take those few minutes out to check in on ourselves to then move forwards with other people, maybe we can start to break that culture down. And I thought as well, what was really interesting was particularly Abby and Nicole talked about creativity. And that was part of the reason we asked Nicole to come on was about the creativity. And I'm not particularly a creative person, as in I'm not very good at drawing or dancing or I love the arts, but I'm not particularly skilled in them. My husband's a designer and, you know, some of my kids have taken after him. And so I'm, I'm in awe of them. But I think that creative release is really important in terms of where you try and find it and how you find it. And it's something that I'm going to take forwards from this. These conversations is how do I do that a little bit better? Because I love writing and I found that was a revelation to me as a student nurse. I loved yeah. writing and I liked writing blogs and I I wrote a few as a student, but I've kind of stopped doing that really. But I also um, think our
1: podcast is a creative outlet.
0: Yeah, 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 it is. And for me, it's a really important part of my balance, definitely.
1: Yeah. Um, I think for me, for creativity, what I, and hearing Nicole speak to it, and it's something I've been thinking about for ages, But I obviously did musical theatre and dancing since I was 12. And I used to love dancing so much. It's like a freedom of expression. And you can just dance your mood out, whatever it is. And I think I'm going to look to see where local. Now we're opening back up things again for local dance classes. And I might get back into that. Just not because I want to do anything with it but yeah. exercise and also just to get out of my headspace.
0: So- yeah, for me, I ran. Before I was a student nurse, I started running and I'd always been one of these people that looked at runners. There's a running club where I live and they wear Dennis the Menace style T-shirts and they're all a little bit obsessed with park run, which I describe as a bit of a cult sometimes because once <laughs> you join, you seem to want to evangelise it to everybody else. And I, I've realised about myself, I don't like running with other people. So park run is not for me. And I didn't like running. I used to have to force myself to go out running. I think I've probably told you this before, Craig. But I stopped. I stopped when I was a student because of all time factors. And I now can't run. I'm not physically fit enough. And it's something that I want to get back to. But what I did realize is I went out, I turned my phone on to Do Not Disturb. I listened to some music and I had that 30, 40 minutes mm. for myself where I came back and I'd achieved something. Yeah. You know, that out, a run and although the physical you know I'd run around this park thinking just go and sit in the cafe and have a cake nobody will know nobody will know you don't have to tell anybody you could have a cake and go home and forcing myself through that but actually that was really positive for me and what I did find quite often when I was running is that's when my ideas for creativity came out and I could write poems in my head nobody maybe would ever have heard them but putting my thoughts in place and getting that. So whatever you need to do. So that's my commitment. I'm going to run a, a bit more. A bit more would not be hard because I don't do it at the moment. And
1: I, I shall find a dance class maybe. There we go. That can be my New Year's resolution because I know what I'm like. I won't give it to myself. I'll have a 12-week class book at the end of the week, so I'm not going to do that. I will <laughs> look for it for a New Year's resolution. I'd but love yeah, to dance. I think creativity is so important. And also some level like we say, physical and mental health are so intertwined that I know there will be times if you, you feel so low and you're so acutely unwell that you, the thought of even entertaining any physical exercise is not going to be something you want to do. But I think for me, if I'm getting really stressed or my anxieties through the roof, that just taking Dobby, leaving my phone at home, going for a walk, it just... like there is I know they say it but there's definitely something in physical activity that release of endorphins it helps your mental health
0: and actually we've both just talked about having our not having our phones with us and I used to be somebody who would you know if i if you'd sent me a message and I hadn't replied within minutes I would feel stressed that you'd think I was ignoring you and you think you've probably noticed this I, I don't reply instantly anymore because I do turn my phone off. I don't do not look at my messages I because I was putting still not
1: great.
0: I was putting too much pressure on myself. So pick all those little tips. There's loads of little tips that you can share and, and be with you. We're aware that for some of you this episode might be challenging. You might not have got to the end, in which case you're not going to hear this bit, but we wanted to end pointing out some places that you might be able to go and get help. So talk to friends, family and colleagues. That's always a really good place if you can. Most trusts, if you work in the NHS, will have an employee support line or a helpline, particularly in COVID. A lot of COVID hubs are now supporting friends and families as well as staff members. So seek out that number, put it in your phone, find it just in case you need it or a colleague needs it. Shout is a great tech service. They operate 24-7. You can find their number online and your local code. And they are trained volunteers. So that at three o'clock in the morning when your thoughts are all getting too much for you, you can text them and have a chat. There's also the Samaritans who are there. 24 seven and papyrus for people who are younger and struggling with thoughts of suicide. And
1: then so there's if breathing space as well, isn't there? there
0: is, and there's loads of online um, therapy sites. Quite a lot of trusts are now giving access to those online sites for free. So have a look at your local mental health trust to see what is on offer in your area i know where i live we've also now got a 24 7 helpline in general for the general public with a seven day a week drop-in center for anybody just to go and have a cup of tea or a brew as we like to call it up here so do look after yourselves yeah. you know reach out on twitter if you need some extra support and give us a shout and we'll try and either help you or signpost you to the place that's right for you yeah. do take care of yourselves And we just want to mention our, well, Greg wants to mention the thing that's causing me the most
2: stress.
1: (laughs) So if you are on our Twitter page, you'll see it's our pin top tweet. We have a date and time for the live episodes. So our live holiday special is going to be on Sunday, the 12th of December at 6pm British Standard Time. So Greenwich Mean Time, our clocks have gone back. So we'd love as many of you as possible to be there the episode's really going to be shaped and led by you you can book through Eventbrite it's also on our website so have a look there and wherever you're listening to this from there will be a link in there as well so we'd love to see you there (laughs) because it will be shaped by you otherwise it's just gonna be a normal episode of me and Claire chatting away but
0: yeah we're gonna let you ask us anything they want I think yeah we're gonna let you ask
1: us anything you want but also open up a discussion between all of all of you to celebrate nursing and to talk about the things in nursing that, that you want to talk about. Like we said at the start when we did the teaser for this series, we, we want you to have as much ownership over this series as, as Claire and I I just wanted to take this opportunity as well to thank anyone so far who has donated to the Movember campaign that me, my brother and my dad are doing to raise money for men's mental health and suicide prevention. This is a podcast, so obviously you can't see what Claire is staring at my lovely moustachial self. Um, So thank you. Thank you very much. And the link is still on my Twitter if if you did want to, because every little counts. But from Claire and I, We hope that you are okay. We want you to know that it is okay not to be okay and that mental health matters. And you have our ear and we've got your back.
0: Yeah. And whatever you do this week, find some joy and some hope
1: and we'll see you next time. We love you lots. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. To make sure you stay up to date with our latest episodes, please subscribe to Retaining
1: the Passion. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. So find us on your usual podcast provider. Oh, and please feel free to leave us a rating and review.
0: Because this is your podcast and we'd love to hear what
1: you think and what you'd like us to talk about and who you'd like us to talk to. You can follow us on all the social media channels. We're at PodRTP on Twitter and Instagram.
0: Or if you're on Facebook, you can find us at facebook.com forward slash
1: RTP. You can also visit our website at podrtp.com for all our episodes and other information.
0: You can follow Craig on Twitter at craigdavidson85 and me, Claire, at Manners of Marple. See you next time. Bye! Bye. All music on this podcast is courtesy of Kevin McLeod.